How's everybody doing? Welcome to Uncle Scotchy's Storytelling Extravaganza, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, a special edition, What's Her Story tonight. We get to listen to her tonight. And um, I'm happy to have it. I'm really proud about how this has developed and my new storytelling friends that I've made that I wouldn't have otherwise. And it's really helped out during a time that everybody was home and stuck. And like I told you, Geneva gave me a reason to wear pants once in a while, once a week at least from September on. It's been going really, really well. Um, if anybody's curious, I am Uncle Scotchy. You can find me easily on Instagram. If you have a story to tell or somebody that you know wants to tell one, they must be true and about you. Hit me up. I will not ask what your story is about. If you're brave enough to come up here and tell the truth, then that's good enough for me. And so far, it's worked out for the most part okay. With some exceptions. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Breckenridge Bourbon, ladies and gentlemen. I can attest. Tastes like chicken. Not that I remember what that tastes like. And uh, the cheese sandals alone is the food tonight, ladies and gentlemen. So please, sweet potato fries are the best you're ever going to have. So don't, don't miss out. For sure, for sure. I'm not lying. This is about the truth here. I can't handle the truth. That's what I'm doing, man. So, so you know, ladies and gentlemen, who aren't here for this or might not know, it's very difficult to tell a story that's very personal to yourself. And uh, storytellers really, oh, actually, when that happens, you just stop. Yeah, it's a storytelling break. It's a storytelling timeout. And, um, but if you're telling stories to your friends, just keep them down so the, this person can execute because it takes a lot. And a lot of people are here for the stories, so be considerate to them as well. And there's a beautiful area outside if you want to go outside and do heroin and talk to your friends. Nobody judges. It's cool. Uh, so the first up, ladies and gentlemen, she is a professional matchmaker by day, which I hate the amateurs, so she went pro. She's a professional matchmaker by day. And uh, a comic at night, stand-up comic at night, ladies and gentlemen. I heard a lot of good things about her. She seems super nice. Ladies and gentlemen, Shira Whites. Hi, everybody. Good to be here. Good to see everybody. Um, I, tonight, am going to tell you guys a story about uh, a time when I hired a hooker. Um, for those... <laughs> thank you. Um, for those of you who have known me for more than 20 seconds, you know that I'm single. And if you haven't, you know that I'm single now. Uh, I, uh, I'm compulsively single, but I try not to be one of those single people who's like needy and desperate and constantly vying for somebody's affection. But I am. I am that bitch. <laughs> because I, I want a relationship in life. You know, I want a meaningful relationship, a relationship that's long lasting, a relationship that could eventually lead to me taking a shit with the door open. Um, and it's hard to come by, and I, uh, I spend a lot of time trying to figure out why I'm still single, and I actually, uh, my porn habits are quite enlightening. Um, throughout my whole life, I've wondered, like, why am I compulsively single, but I want a relationship? And I've realized, when I took a look at my porn habits, what it could be. 
what it could be, the fundamentals. Uh, because everybody who I talk to, you know, about porn, you know, they're, they're upset by the state of porn these days, right? Because everything is gross. Like, everything is stepfather, fuck stepdaughter, or, you know, girl gets fucked by your actual brother. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. You guys are reading the descriptions? <laughs> like, are we paying attention to the plot when we watch porn? You know, because my, my, my MO when I'm watching porn is I scroll through the videos, uh, try and find the pair of breasts that I would most like to see bouncing that evening. Then I turn off the lights, I put that shit on mute, I get out my vibrator, I fast forward to the point where the breasts are actually in play, and 20 seconds later, I come in silence. I'm sorry, I just don't have time for an elaborate masturbation habit. That's not true. I do have time. I just masturbate in shame, like a normal fucking American woman. And it's, it is, I, I am ashamed because it's confusing. It's confusing and a little bit embarrassing to be confused. I'm 32, right? And when I'm watching this video, I'm like, I don't know what I want. Do I want to be the girl with the tits? Do I want to be the guy fucking the girl with the tits? Do I want to be watching the guy fucking the girl with the tits? Do I want to just be the tits? I don't know. So I hired a hooker, you know? Um, it was at a point in my life where I had just moved back home to Florida from Los Angeles. I'd been living away for over 12 years. Uh, I, um, I, I had ended a surprise, unhealthy relationship. Um, and I just, I was, I took what little I had in my savings account and I wanted to take a trip to Europe. And when considering where I was going to go, Amsterdam came up naturally. Uh, and of course, Amsterdam is famous for its drug scene, but I wasn't at a point in my life where I wanted to do drugs. I was at the point in my life where I wanted to do a prostitute. And it was important because, you know, I had, I've been with women before, but there was always something missing. Like, it was slim pickings, I guess. I don't know. I just, I didn't wind up being with women who I found particularly appealing. I was just determined to take one home with me that evening, you know? So um, I said, if I find myself in Amsterdam, I'm going to do that. I'm going to hire a, a hooker. And then I, uh, I wound up doing a work exchange program with somebody just outside of the city and then I was like, fuck, <laughs> it's real, it's on. And I did all the research. I found the top escort site, you know. Um, I, did, I, I realized I didn't want to go to the red light district because uh, the red light district, you know, you had to walk in to the sterile room. You had to negotiate a rate on the spot. I was like, no, fuck that. All these Eastern European women, they're beautiful, but they could eat me alive, right? So I perused, uh, I perused the escort website, and among a sea of salty-looking Eastern European women, I found Aurelia. Uh, Aurelia. She was hot. <laughs> she was cute. She was petite. Um, great tits. 
Um, she she kind of looked a little Spanish, like darker complexion, dark hair. And I was like, you. I, I and, and best of all, her profile said that she was bisexual. So I hit up the chat service. I chat with the guy. First question I ask out the gate, is she definitely bisexual? He says, yes. I say, is she definitely the girl in the photo? He says, yes. I'm like, great, okay. Then I ask about STDs, I ask about safety, I ask about what exactly is included in the price. He says, you pay by the hour and you discuss it when you're there. I'm like, oh, fuck, okay, fine. Let the fantasizing commence, okay? I spent two weeks just with Aurelia in the back of my mind, just waiting, waiting for it all to go down. I traveled through Austria, I traveled through Brussels, countdown to the point where I arrive in Amsterdam. Uh, I go to this work exchange program with this uh, older Dutch woman, Ilma. I didn't want to book anything before I got there because she... I, it was my first time doing work exchange, you know. Um, I wanted to just make sure everything was good to go before I, uh, you know, hired a hooker. Um, so I get to Amsterdam. Everything's cool, but I'm I'm in a vulnerable state. I'm feeling extremely sensitive. First of all, this is a nerve-wracking endeavor, and second of all, uh, my phone was just stolen in Brussels, and on top of it all. I'm pre-PMSing. My period is fucking around the corner. I don't know when, but it's coming in a week or two, right? I'm very vulnerable. So I spend the first, I'm there for about 10 days. I spend the first few days just willing it to come, you know, like, please body, please know what I need. Just come now so you can finish. And then just so I can come and I can finish, you know? <laughs> um, it did not come. Day four, I'm like, okay, period, just stay away. Just stay away. Don't come. Don't come. It's fine. Um, to try and take my mind off of these things, I, I finally make my way over to the red light district, you know, see what it's all about. Has anybody in here been there? Yeah. Okay. So for those of you who haven't, it's erotic. It's arousing like there are just windows of scantily clad women of all shapes and sizes just sort of like beckoning in people passing by on the street you know some of them are just kicked back have their feet up scrolling through their phone super nonchalant when the curtain is drawn a session is happening and every once in a while you might see a guy sort of leaving with his head down and then you look behind the curtain and you can see the woman like fixing up her makeup in the mirror before she reopens. I went home that night and it was on. I get out my phone, I have the uh, hotel booking, you know, my non-refundable hotel room about to book and then the chat service on the other, on the other line. Uh, I, I confirm that Aurelia is available Sunday at 7 p.m. Uh, he says, yes. And then I go back and I book the hotel room. And then I go back to the chat service and one last time I say, are you sure that Aurelia is bisexual? She knows I'm a woman, right? I don't want any surprises. And skirt, that fucking changes things. That's what she said. That changes things. It turns out Aurelia's profile was out of date. She's no longer bisexual, I guess. <laughs> 
maybe she went to conversion school or whatever. I don't know. Um, so I'm like surprised by how upset I am about this, right? Because I've been like, you know, the red light district, I'm like looking with caution, right? Because I don't know who who is welcoming my female gaze, like as another woman, you know? I don't want to intrude. That's been my whole life. I haven't wanted to intrude, you know? Like I'm sitting with friends when I'm like younger, growing up, and it's like, I don't want to fuck them, but I'm worried that they think I might want to fuck them. Is that weird? You know, like that's that's part of the, that's part of like being sexually confused or bisexual, whatever it is. Uh, so I just feel shitty. Like I I was bummed when when they said no. I felt like a pervert. I'd been fucking getting off masturbating to this bitch for like two weeks now. Damn it! This is not gonna come into fruition. So. Um, I did book the hotel room and the, and the woman on the chat service, you know, she gave me the names of all like two women who were willing to be with another woman. So, you know, here's what I asked her. They were both attractive, you know, whatever. I wasn't about to complain. Uh, I mean, I was, I did, but, uh, then, then I wanted to fuck a girl. So I, Asked, you know, what anybody in my position would ask, which is, which one's nicest? Um, and that's the one I booked. That's the one I booked. So the day comes, I, I go to the hotel room. I'm super, super nervous. And uh, in order to, like, quill my nerves, I just run myself a bath. Turns out if I'm aroused, I'm not nervous. So I just spent hours in this like blurred state of arousal, just like working myself up, fantasizing about all the things that I know I want to do when, when the prostitute arrives. And sure enough, seven o'clock approaches. I get a call from the front desk. I get a knock on the door. The time has come. I go, I open the door. And I was catfished a little bit. <laughs> she, if she was the girl in the picture, that was like many years ago, like at least 10 years ago. <laughs> so all of this sexual energy that I have been sustaining just goes whoosh out the window. But just as promised, you know, she comes in, she asked me, what do you want to do? And I knew the answer. Like, I had been thinking about this for a long time. It was like a fucking recipe at this point, you know? Let's take off our tops. We let it warm up. Then remove the bottoms, add the fingers. Let it simmer for about five, ten minutes. Then give it a taste, you know? But my mind went blank. Luckily, she uh, offered an erotic massage. And I was like, sure. So she told me to take off my clothes. And I listened, partly because I wanted to, but also partly because she was Eastern European. And I was a little afraid of her. <sighs> she gets undressed. I'm laying on my stomach on the bed. She proceeds to sort of mount me and rub her breasts atop my back, just like that, which 
neither massaged me nor did it arouse me. <laughs> I, uh, I let this go on for a bit and then I'm like, okay, you know what, can I, can I touch you? I finally gathered the courage to ask for what I want. <laughs> I asked, can I touch you? She's like, sure. So I'm like closing my eyes, I'm trying to get into it, I'm feeling her up, I open my eyes, and this is the look on her face. <laughs> like my touch was the equivalent of a boring math class, you know? So I think she could tell like this isn't working. She was like, well, do you want me to go down on you? And I was like, yeah. Whatever, I don't fucking care anymore. Um, she proceeds to cover me in a female condom uh, and then eat me out. First time I've ever empathized with men about condoms. <laughs> um, she could tell pretty quickly like that it wasn't gonna work and she didn't wanna you know, waste her time. So what does she do? She pulls out the handy dandy vibrator, gets that shit going. 20 seconds later, I come in silence. I did not have any sexual awakenings that evening. No, no, no. I, uh, I, I cried myself to sleep. But I woke up the next morning and I got my period. <laughs> Gotta love my body for that reason. It fucking knew. It fucking knew to hold off. That's a win. Um, and I did learn that next time I go to Amsterdam, I'm gonna do drugs <laughs> and not a hooker. Thank you guys so much. Have a great rest of your night. Shira White's, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Shira White's. She got the old boobs on the back. Ah, oldest trick in the book. <laughs> the old boobs on the back. Easter European trick. They're sneaky. Ladies and gentlemen, you guys have been a really good audience so far. Once again, uh, if you're telling stories to each other, please just kind of keep it down to a minimum so that people can tell stories. Some of them can get really revealing and really graphic. And uh, you don't have to go earmuffs, but they get a little bit graphic. So I appreciate you guys' uh, attention for everybody's story because it's, uh, it's a really cool thing. Uh, the next person coming up, ladies and gentlemen, uh, she's a comic. And uh, she didn't give me a lot of personal information, but I just found out that when she was a child, she was in Peter Pan. And our, and our bartender over there, Mr. Christopher Mullins, was... Peter Pan, ladies and gentlemen, Tinkerbell, huh? Tink, otherwise known as Tink, ladies and gentlemen. But she's gonna tell a story for us, ladies and gentlemen. I'm excited to have her up. Miss Brittany Brave, come on up. All right, I love it. Give it up for your host, everybody. Give it up, let them hear it. Yes. Thank you, um, thank you to everybody who screamed out Wendy. Thank you. I don't have the proportions for Wendy. Um, definitely much more a Tinkerbell. Um, happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. I'm ovulating. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> One other person is fertile. It's good. 
Um, I am a comic, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. I haven't done too many, like, storytelling shows, right? And as this comic, you kind of get on stage, and you feel this pressure to be funny. As a comic, you feel this pressure to be funny everywhere in your life, right? So much so to where it makes you hate other people in your life that are funny. <laughs> you know, you're at Thanksgiving dinner, and your grandpa cracks a joke, <laughs> and it lands, you know? You're like, why isn't he dead yet? <laughs> like, oh my God, that's right. <laughs> and then you get on a special show like this with an incredible producer. Give it up for your producer. And you're told, like, go for it, go for it, go for it. It's not stand-up. Just do it. Just talk about that thing that's inside you. This room will allow you to do it. Even if it's set to the backdrop of someone's margarita, this room will let you do it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding. And so all this day, I was, like, sitting there, and I was, like, trying to prepare today and yesterday for the storytelling show. And the second the pressure's on for a storytelling show, I'm like, I have never told a story in my life. <laughs> I've never experienced anything in my life. I've never even gone there, right? But I will start with this. It's an all-female lineup. Woo! Woo! Thank you. Someone's mating call, okay. And I am a goddamn massive feminist, and I think women make this world go round. So let's give it up for ladies. And we go through a lot of shit, right? I'm a feminist. It's my favorite F word. You know? The other day, I saw a grown man fall off a city bike, and I came, you know? I also pushed him off the city bike. And I'm a single female comedian, and I have a really tough relationship past, relationship history. And I go on dates all the time, and I tell guys that I'm a comedian, and then they like to tell me that they tried stand-up once, and it went pretty all right. And I'm like, I tried anal once. I'm not making an entire career out of that. But maybe. <laughs> I'm a comedian, right? A comedian who tells joquettes with her vaginess. <laughs> you know? From atop my castle, you know, I'm just like, help me write a punchline, daddy. Mm. <laughs> mm. So, I started stand-up three years ago. And I never considered myself to be a stand-up, which was interesting, because I always did improv and sketch and acting. I don't know if you guys heard, but I won an Academy Award for my role as Tinkerbell supporting Peter Pan behind the bar. <laughs> Thank you. Not all heroes wear capes. Some of them wear cheap party city costumes. No, I'm kidding. Um, some of them are in element. Oh, ding dong. Okay, thank you. That's fun. I'm going to now use that bell for whenever we need a safe word in this room. I'm going to be like, ding. Okay. Um, so I started stand-up. And I started stand-up on the tail end of, like, a really tough relationship. I just want to say this right now. I'm single. I'm so single. I am on all the apps. I'm on Tinder, Bumble, Yelp, you name it. I mean, it's really hard out here. If you're a straight man in this room, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> Men should be illegal, okay? I'm looking at you, sir, okay? You could lead a horse to water, but you can't make it emotionally available. That's right. <laughs> so I started stand-up three years ago, 
And I started it on the tail end of this relationship. That's when I really knew I wanted to get on stage. I really wanted to start stand-up. And I want to go ahead and tell you guys the very first joke I ever wrote. You guys want to hear it? Really, do you want to hear it? It's a little, it's a lot. Are you sure you want to hear it? It's a lot. You're going to ding, 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 okay? And I used to open with it. It would be the first thing that I said at the top of my set. I used to say, my name is Brittany. I don't really like my name, right? I feel like when you meet someone named Brittany, you think one of two things. No, not that. <laughs> it's Brittany, bitch. Okay, you look at I love it. <laughs> That's right. I like that this is a town hall meeting. This is great. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> no, I have never walked barefoot through a gas station. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> but I would say, my name is Brittany. I don't like my name. I feel like when you meet someone named Brittany, you want to do one of two things. You either want to take them to the mall... <laughs> yes. <laughs> or punch them in the fucking face. And if you're my ex-boyfriend, you got to do both. Oh. <laughs> safe word, safe word, safe word, safe word, safe word. I love it. I just felt every guy in here go, and every girl in here do a Kegel out of stress. So I do. I like, I tend to like bad men. And I was in a three-year super abusive relationship. And I started stand-up after it. That's what I did. I got out of that relationship and I started stand-up. If I date another guy who punches me in the face, it's, it's going to get dark. It's going to be slam poetry. I'm telling you. Isn't that round? <laughs> it's not going to be good. And I get it. You're not expecting this from someone like me. I understand that I give competitive dance sorority energy off. But I am dead on the inside. <laughs> dead. Oh, it's okay. So I did start this, um, and I was in this three-year relationship. And it was. It was physically abusive. It was emotionally abusive. Uh, all my friends would be like, what's going on? Are you and BJ not doing well? Or are you not doing well? And I'd be like, we're fighting a lot. And they're like, no, you know. And I was like, but it's okay. It's like mixed martial arts, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Nobody believed me. No, really, my life became this one big episode of Big Little Lies. I don't know if you saw it, yeah. Woo, yes. And the only reason I came out alive in that relationship is because I am 4'11 on a good day and I have a goddamn Napoleon complex, okay? I took that Myers-Briggs personality test. I got C-U-N-T. <laughs> okay? I am Italian. We're an angry people, okay? Yeah, that's right. You know, we're an angry people. We're like, give me my fucking marinara or I'll take your sister's life, you know? <laughs> so I was in this relationship... And it was, it was terrible. It completely ruined my life. It did. I lost friends. I lost family. I lost my job. I was constantly in local prison cells. Not kidding. I was in penitentiary centers because I was getting arrested even though he was the one trying to take my life. I know. I was in a monsoon. It was terrible. So one day I go out to visit him. He decides to move to Salt Lake City. I used to live in New York, right? 
Whenever I would fight with him in New York, my landlord, my landlord would be like, turn the TV down, you know? And I was like, this is real life, you know? This is reality TV. <laughs> um, so I go out to visit him, and it's supposed to be this last weekend that we're supposed to make it work. We're supposed to salvage whatever love that it is that we have. And of course, we're like 36 hours into the trip, and I'm like low-key getting my head slammed into a headboard. Yes, <laughs> you know? It's okay. That's the right reaction. It's okay. And it's crazy. Um, and everybody kept telling me, everybody, whenever you're in these relationships, by the way, they try to drag you out, right? You ever date a bad guy? You ever date somebody who's not good for you? Everybody in your life is begging to pull you out of the hurricane, is begging to pull you out of the monsoon. But also, you realize you're not going to do it until it's your idea. You're not. You're not going to do it. You have to come to terms with it on your own. It's like a virus. you got to work it out of your system, right? And I kept coming back to this guy. I kept trying to leave, but I kept coming back. I don't know what I was coming back to, guys. I have to be honest. He smoked American spirits. <laughs> he had a beer gut. <laughs> he wore Crocs in public. I don't know what I was coming back to. <laughs> okay? He would get out of breath when we fucked. He was old. He was in his 40s, Okay? <laughs> It's horrible, yes. It's why I like the men I like now. I see a lot of single guys here tonight. I don't want to be with anybody unless they have a salt and pepper beard and they're in the middle of a custody battle. <laughs> I am broken, okay? So I go. This weekend goes south. Surprise, surprise. And I get up and like, that's it. The light switch is on. And I'm like, that's it. This isn't how my story ends. This isn't love, right? This isn't love. I'm looking at my parents. They've been married for 50 years. They had their 50th anniversary this year. Clap it up for them. That's amazing. Okay. Do they argue? Yeah. Do they low-key hate each other? Yeah. You know? I have my mother in one ear yapping about Palm Sunday, right? In Catholicism, I have my father in the other yelling about how he wants to vote for Ralph Nader every year, you know? They hate each other. I'm my only child. I'm constantly mediating for them. I'm third wheeling for them. My life is hell. Last year I was in a wedding. They cheered for me as I walked down the aisle, okay? <laughs> but they love each other and they were able to achieve love through respect and through trust and through safety more than anything else. I remember when they hit 50 years this year, I said, Dad, what is it that makes a marriage work? How do you make a marriage work? And he said, unconditional love, respect, communication. And then I said to my mother, how do you make a marriage work? And she looked up, put her wine glass down, and she said, don't. <laughs> right? It's sarcasm. She's, a, she's an idiot. Okay, it's fine. Um, but I thought back to my parents in this time. I thought back to any couple I ever thought worked in my life. And I said, they're able to achieve love without having WWE in their bedroom every night. <laughs> Right? So I leave. I leave. I tell him I'm flying out at 6 a.m. Really, I think I had like a 4 a.m. flight, right? I start packing my suitcase in silence. I change my flight. Something serendipitously happens where I call American Airlines. And I don't know if you guys know this, but they're dicks, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And then I started doing comedy full time, and now I exclusively fly Spirit, so <laughs> it's not good. Now I get hit on the plane like I did with my ex. <laughs> it's like the sixth punching joke. You guys got to be used to this by now. 
Carolina. So I call them, and they're like, you know what? We're going to waive your fee. I go, great. I wake up. I slide out of bed. I grab my suitcase. I literally sneak out of his apartment. I take an Uber to the airport. On the way there, I block him everywhere possible, right? Tinder, Bumble, Yelp. (laughs) (laughs) Snapchat, everything. And I land in New York, and I go straight to the police officer, the police department, And I'm like, get me out of here. Get me a restraining order. Please get me my life back. Get me out of this relationship. So ladies, whenever you're like, I blocked him on Instagram. I blocked him on Snapchat. Up your fucking game. Block him in real life. (laughs) That's it. It's great. It becomes like a Black Mirror episode. Poof, he's gone. (laughs) Right? We're social distancing. It's not six feet. It's 250, you know? It's great. So anyways, he comes to New York two weeks later. I knew he was coming. I knew he was visiting. And I'm working with detectives on this. Literally, I'm working with detectives to, like, press charges, to make sure he gets his order served, to get him into jail, to finally have a straight man be accountable for his goddamn fucking actions that he was aware he was doing the entire time. Right? And reclaim that narrative of what I was told I was for all three years. Ladies, what's the dirty word that we got called all the time? Bitch is one. Bitch is one. I want want to go back and do the vocabulary on this. A bit, oh, a cunt's a good thing. A cunt's a compliment. (laughs) A bitch. A bitch means you opened your mouth and you said something that somebody didn't like. And, or it means you're talking and nobody wanted you to. So I encourage you to keep being a fucking bitch, okay? They don't need to like it, okay? That's it. Who said whore? Who said whore? Somebody said whore, but now they're like getting bashful. (laughs) They're like, no. (laughs) Not me, I have chlamydia, no. (laughs) That's a fun STD, are you kidding? (laughs) Depression is the STD you got to worry about. Um, Thank you. That's a really smart joke. Fuck you guys. Thank you. That's an incredible joke. I'll suck my own dick on that one. If you think you're not getting depression from the person who's seeing you naked, think again, honey. Okay. Horror is what happens when you bag as much ass as he does and he can't handle it. Yeah. And cunts are just wonderful. Cunts are tough. Cunts are strong. I am a cunt. I can have a cunt while I'm being a cunt. How meta of me. <laughs> okay? You, uh, listen, you might not like a cunt, but if you're casting a dodgeball team, you want a cunt on your side, okay? <laughs> you're stuck in an alley. Shit's getting weird. You're calling a cunt. <laughs> okay? You find out your boyfriend fucked your best friend. She's a cunt, okay? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I am absolutely right. Um, we got, well, the, the dirty word that I was saying is crazy. I got called crazy, right? Women, we get called crazy. You get called crazy when a man doesn't want to be accountable, so now he has to project it as mental illness that you're dealing with. That's crazy. If I had a dollar for every time that man called me crazy, I'd be able to bail him out of jail today. <laughs> But I wouldn't. I would get a yacht and just live my best life. <laughs> In Miami. <laughs> yes. 
I'd blow Pitbull on it too, you know? Do coke off a mango? I don't know, I'm a free woman, okay. So. So. Working with detectives, literally tracking this guy's every move because this is my chance, right? This is my chance to get out. I'm finally seeing the light. I'm finally seeing how this relationship has ruined my life. I'm finally detaching from this person. Literally following him around New York. One night, I was working in the music business. He did too. And I go to my client's show and I'm calling my detective and I'm like, hey, I know for a fact he's gonna show up tonight. I really need you guys to have my back here. Please send somebody out. This is your chance. I know he's leaving New York tomorrow or two days from now. I was like leaving that weekend. Like, this is your chance. He needs to be served. He needs to be arrested. I just want to like open a new chapter, you know, <laughs> like that's it. They don't send anybody. I'm there at the concert with myself and my friend. The second I take two steps out of the venue, I get an email. Yes, I forgot to block him on email. I forgot, okay? It's 1999, I guess, okay? And it's photos of me in the crowd. And he's like, saw you, came here to see you, want to fix it, want to try again. And if you're in an abusive relationship, you know, that's the cycle, right? That's the cycle. Set it on fire. Destroy everything around you. Reconnect. Remember what was good. Make up sex. Maybe he buys you home fries. I don't know, okay? I don't know your love language. That was mine, okay? So I'm in hysterics, but... I wake up the next morning, and I have 15 missed calls, 30 text messages, FaceTimes. I think he sent smoke signals. I don't even know. <laughs> Brittany, take me back. Brittany, please come and see me. Brittany, I'm sorry. Brittany, I want to make this work. All of these things. And the reason I unblocked him, just in case anybody's wondering, is because I was in a court investigation, and that's what I needed to do, right? Because I needed to have evidence. I needed to see if he shared his whereabouts. That's where I could get him. I'm shaking, shaking, I'm terrified. I had just switched apartments. He knew the neighborhood I was in. He had no idea what street in New York. He had no idea what really like niche area or anything. All of a sudden he says, I wanna work on this, we need to salvage this. Meet me at this bar on this street. It's a bar on the same street that I live on. Never told him where I live, never gave him any of that information. I finally call the police department. He's got less than two days left in New York. It's like now or never for this to finally happen. And I'm like, what do I do, what do I do? This is it, you guys need to have my back on this. This is the time we have to go. Please, please put an end to this literally three, three and a half year nightmare. And I finally get a female detective. And she goes, right back, tell him, give me 20 minutes, I'm taking a shower, I'm gonna get ready. I'll see you there. And I said, you sure? She goes, yeah, we got to keep him at the bar. We got to keep him there. That's what we need to do. She goes, and if you really want to fuck with him, go ahead and tell him you miss him. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> I was like, I know, we have to salvage it. I miss you, I miss you, I was dying without you, and I can't wait to see you. And he's like, babe, 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 babe. And I was like, like, you know, that was my first acting role. I was like low-key a supporting actress in my own Law & Order episode. It's great, thank you. And they show up and he's like drinking his whiskey so that his dick won't work later, bink, okay. 
And they're like, close your tab. Don't fight me. You're under motherfucking arrest. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. I get a photo sent of him to me of him in handcuffs. And the first time in three and a half years that I wasn't the one who looked terrified and scared for their life. First time. But I will say, the power move of seeing your boyfriend in handcuffs. I was like, ooh, to think you were the one who didn't want this to get serious. Look at you all committed, okay? 25 to life, you could barely do three years, what? <laughs> so, three years go by, and I'm starting to date now. It's not going well, you know. It's hard. It's hard out here. I'm like a rescue dog, you know. <laughs> like, if he looks at me the wrong way, I'm like, ah! <laughs> you know? ah! like, ah! like, if he's just like, yeah, fist pumping at the bar, I'm like, you fucking fucking like. <laughs> I like turn into one of the bros. I'm like, you gonna catch these hands. <laughs> you know, men are always like, he gotta catch these hands. Death, taxes, and catching these hands. That's what it's inevitable. <laughs> like, you know? And I wish, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna wrap it up. I wish, I wish that after this experience, I wish that we had a way to spot red flags, right? Because suddenly, everybody, men and women alike, you're colorblind when it comes to a red flag, right? Colorblind. Like, women in particular, and I'm going to lean on women because it's an all-female lineup tonight. Women love unconditionally. You put up with so much shit, okay? Do you hear what I said? He smoked American spirits, had a beer gun, wore Crocs, hit me, fucked him for three years. Ah, Okay? It's a lot. I love that man. Men, you don't love like that, okay? If you're dating a girl you're not fully into, fully attracted to, you're never gonna be like, yeah, the sex is all right. I got a paper bag it, but let me tell you something. She's got a beautiful soul. <laughs> she donates to a lot of charities. <laughs> She's a great cook. I see her for what she is. You know, doesn't happen. I wish they had an internet captcha that instead of having you spot the taxi, right, when you're logging in on your bank account or whatever, spot the taxi, spot the mountain, spot the bird, spot the red fucking flags, okay? <laughs> Tribal tattoo, Crocs. <laughs> Says one time his ex had a hide in the closet, but she was being too dramatic. Shit like that! That's a true story, by the way. I still stayed with him after that. I was like, weird. <laughs> like, I was like, I grew up in Miami. I hid in a closet during hurricane season. Weird. <laughs> like, so, what else do I have to say on this one? This is the first time I fully told this story on stage, so thank you guys for being here. Bro, I have so many. I was like, I'm doing it. Doing it. I will say this, I'll leave you with this. So, going through something like that, I heard someone say, wash the dishes. Ooh, you domestic girl. <laughs> um, going through something like that. Dating again is hard. 
it's really hard, especially as a millennial, because we have these issues with intimacy. We like to fuck and have fun, but we don't want to connect and be vulnerable, right? Like your single friends go out, they have a one night stand. You want to know everything, you know? She's like, I don't know his name, but I let him put it in my butt a little. <laughs> and you're like, yes, queen, get tested. Yes. Yeah. She's like, do you think it's serious? You're like, if he ain't in handcuffs, no. Right? She's like, but he was. I'm like, yeah, I used to get it. When we would fuck, my ex would be like, let me choke you, you know? And I'd be like, you already did. Okay, anyways. But if you're coupled here tonight, I'm gonna tell you right now, nobody wants to hear your sex life, okay? Yes. I love you. You are my hype girl. Are you also ovulating? Is that what's happening? She's like, maybe, maybe pregnant. I don't know. There's no judgment. When people ask me how many kids I have, I say negative two. Um. Not a big math crowd in the back, okay. Failed the FCAT? Negative two, this guy is dying, he loves numbers. Just fucking loves numbers. Fucking about it. Negative three. Negative three. I ain't going for the hat trick, bro. Sorry. So I start dating again. Um, and I start seeing this guy, and it's probably like the most like consistent thing that I've had since that relationship, right? So we're together for like six months, seven months. We don't get too deep, we don't really talk about each other's breakups. And then one night he starts asking a lot of questions about my ex. And he's like, but like how was it? Or do you keep in touch with him? Why did it end? And if comedy taught me anything, it's that you can't change your truth. You could just choose to own it however you want. So there's no point in lying, right? You know, no point. So I said, well, and I kind of give him the, the, the cliff notes of what happened. And I go, so, you know, this is how it had to end. I got a restraining order. He went to jail. And he said, he said, yeah, that sounds bad, but I mean, he didn't kill you. Good job. He didn't kill you. And I, I was like shocked, I was offended, I was insecure in that moment. And then I flipped the narrative, as you do in comedy, and I said, you know what? You're right. No, we fucking didn't. <laughs> I'm here today. Like, he did it, you know? And then I took that guy out back, and I drop-kicked him in the balls. <laughs> and pushed him off a city bike. <laughs> and fucked his brother, and... And I think I'm deserving of that. Um, that being said, thank you guys so much. Uh, I started comedy because of that relationship, started stand-up because of that relationship, so this was like a huge band. I'm stress sweating so bad. If you come near me, don't smell my pits, please. 
Um, but this was like a huge thing for me, so thank you so much for having me. I'm Brittany Brave. If you need a friend, I'm here. Love you guys. Get over pretty brave, ladies and gentlemen. True to her name. <laughs> My mother was a raging feminist, too. <laughs> My mother was a tiny raging feminist, too, so she would have loved that. And by the way, in case uh, uh, the options go down or something, we have Pitbull's bass player here, so if that Pitbull reference is coming back. Pitbull's old bass player is here, actually. <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Brittany one more time, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, by the way, we, uh, if, if you like uh, merch, uh, these uh, comfortable yet stylish Uncle Scotchy hats are for sale. So, uh, hit me up about that. I'm excited for our next storyteller, ladies and gentlemen. She's a comic. She has a monthly show at Unbranded Brewery. That's all she would tell me. Everything else about her life is a secret. Are you guys ready to learn some secrets? Seriously, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for being here. Thanks for coming. You guys are supporting. It's a nice crowd tonight for the What's Her Story series. We plan to do a lot more themed stories. This is one of the first ones, and it's going really well so far. Ladies and gentlemen, excited for the next storyteller, Miss Carmen Zita, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. Uh, I am a comic, just like the two females. Give it up for Sheer and Brittany. Amazing. I hope you guys are tired of laughing because this is not going to be funny at all. Um, I do have my own, you know, tragic male relationship stories like Brittany. I was in a really fucked relationship for about three or four years. I, although, had the greatest justice, um, he died. So that's, yes! Thank you. True story. I didn't kill him. I didn't get the pleasure, but um, he did die, and that's okay. I have a joke about that, and that's not what today is about, because today is about my story, and he was part of my story, but he's not all of my story. I would rather tell you about um, the story about growing up with older brothers. I don't know. Do you guys have siblings? Anyone? Yes? I grew up with older brothers, um, which made me an accidental feminist. Um, hence the boots. It's just it's just because I feel like a boy inside. Specifically, though, um, I want to tell you guys a story about one of my three brothers. Um, I have an older brother who's just turned 50, another brother that's 36, and another brother that would have been, uh, gosh, how old would he have been? 36, I think, as well, um, or 35. I say that because he's no longer with us, um, unfortunately. Isn't it weird because you kind of want to clap for that, but you don't because you're like, oh, he's no longer with us. Um, I get it. It would be really weird if, like, he's no longer with us and you all clap. That's fucking weird. Um, but I want to tell you about him um, because, A, it's the greatest loss I've ever suffered, um, my ex-boyfriend was sad, but for different reasons. And I want to tell you about him. His name was Leo. 
by the way, Leonardo, great fucking name. Uh, he was technically my stepbrother. Uh, do you guys come from like mixed Brady Bunch families? Yes, yes you do. Uh, and it's not as sexy as the Brady Bunch makes it sound at all. Um, but it is, it is something that I don't believe that like blood defines our relationships. For the intents of this story, I will only refer to him as my brother because that's what he was. Uh, he came into my life when I was about 10 years old. And so my oldest brother, he had moved out of the house when I was like maybe three. So we didn't really grow up together. We became close as adults. Um, my other brother that's about three years uh, different from me, we were very close growing up, but he was kind of nerdy. Um, and both of us, my brother Carlos and I, were kind of like late bloomers or whatever. And I feel like I really came into my own as a person and actually got kind of cool when my brother Leo came into my life. Um, so just so you know, the, I can tell you the first day I met him, which is interesting when you're talking about a sibling, because most of us don't remember the first day we met our siblings. Um, but I can tell you it was, you know, my mom had gotten with my stepdad, who I also now call my dad, because um, fuck real dads. Who has a real one anyway? Um, <laughs> I don't. And I'll never forget, they were like ready to introduce the children from the two broken marriages. And I was home with some of my girlfriends because I lived in an apartment because being from a broken family, of course, we didn't have a lot of money. So we were living in an apartment and they're like, oh, he's coming, whatever. And I remember me and my girlfriends just like rushing to the window. I'm like, 10, 11 years old and seeing him through the window and all my girlfriends are like, oh my God, he's kind of cute. And I was like, in my head, I was like, oh yeah, he's kind of cute. And then I was like, wait, he's going to be my brother. So let's lock that shit up because it's going to get weird fast. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, I grew to love him in the way that I was supposed to, okay? Um, but as soon, look, as soon as he, by the way, this is super, like, I had two cigarettes and a vodka soda. So I'm comfortable telling you, yes, I'm comfortable telling you, because you're all a room of strangers for the most part, that at first I was like, oh, he cute. Um, which is weird because he's going to live in my house. Uh, when the parents got divorced, usually the children will pick, like, the mom to live with, right? Uh, he picked his dad to live with. So he lived with us. <sighs> and growing up with him is what made my teen years extremely memorable, right? He was A, the coolest person ever. Um, I grew up in Westchester. Um, yeah, Westchester! I don't need to be funny, it's just Miami people on my side. I grew up in fucking Westchester, right? Uppity, uppity Cuban family. And he was from Hialeah. He was like, oh, he was from Barbara Goldman. So he had stories, right? Yeah, this motherfucker had been in cuffs at some point. Um, so I was like, you're cool as fuck. Because my other brother was a dork. I love him to death. But he was like uncoordinated and people made fun of him. And it wasn't cool to be like, that's my brother. Um, but this one, I was like, this is my motherfucking brother, right? Because I was like, he's, you know, been in cuffs. So he came into my life at that age, and that's when shit got fun. Um, I grew up in the age of, like, jackass. You know, you remember jackass, right? Guys doing stupid shit. And honestly, for me and my, my brother Carlos, our brother Leo was, like, the awakening for both of us because we were, like, 
you know, going through like divorce and a lot of drama and a lot of bullshit. And then he came and all the kids in the neighborhood that like maybe didn't want to be friends with us all of a sudden flocked to us. He was, he was like the prankster, like the ultimate prankster. Um, he used to do, one of my fucking favorite pranks that he ever did with someone was called the ultimate sit-up. Do you guys know what the ultimate sit-up is? Cool. That's when, you, that's when you convince your neighbor friend to come over. And uh, he hyped up the friend, and he was like, bro, I bet you can't do an impossible sit-up. Because he was like a peer pressure person. He could make you do stupid shit with peer pressure. And he'd be like, bro, I bet you can't do the ultimate sit-up. And then our neighbor, Ralphie, was like, yeah, man, of course I can do the ultimate sit-up. And he's like, he's like, what is it, bro? I bet I can do it. Cool. So he's like, okay, this is the ultimate sit-up. You fucking tie a blindfold around your face, and if you tie it tight enough, when you lay down, it's physically impossible for you to do a sit-up. And he's like, bro, that's the stupidest shit I've ever fucking heard, right? You're just like, that's the dumbest shit. And he's like, bro, I'm telling you, if you tie it, I'm from fucking Westchester, guys. You can't, you can't get rid of it, okay? And I was raised with boys, bro is my vocabulary. I don't give a fuck. So he's like, bro, you can't do the impossible sit-up. And of course, Ralphie, who wants to impress Leo, because everybody wanted to impress Leo. Bro, I can do the impossible sit-up. Fucking, he puts the blindfold on Ralphie, really fucking tight. He lays down and he's like, bro, you're gonna see. <laughs> and as soon as Ralphie gets up, he goes fucking face first into Leo's bare ass. <laughs> and that is the impossible sit-up, ladies and gentlemen. Ralphie has, isn't that a great prank? I've never even read that like on Reddit. Like, have you ever heard of the impossible sit-up? That was his brainchild. Don't you wish you could be 13 again and have your friends come over? Because now if you did it, like, that's assault, right? Like, you can't, you can't have someone go bare, you know, face into your bare ass without getting, like, a rape charge now. So that was that. Ralphie didn't talk to us for, like, two weeks. He got over it because we were... <laughs> We were neighbors. Uh, and also, you know, growing up, everybody wanted to be at my house. And, like, it was so fun because I lived in an apartment. Um, eventually, we lived in a neighborhood, like, when they had enough money or whatever. But it didn't matter where we lived. All the kids wanted to be at our house. And we'd have, like, pillow fights and bullshit. Me usually being the only girl in the group with maybe one other girl in the neighborhood would just usually get piled on, right? Like all the boys want to pick on the girls because we're easy targets. And he would be like my advocate for everything, right? It's like we're pillow fighting, everyone's ganging up on me. And then all of a sudden like Leo would switch sides and he would fuck everybody up, right? He always had my back. He also was the worst for my self-confidence. Um, so you see how like, like if I think I always feel fat, it's not just society. It's because Leo, when I was going through puberty, used to, so <laughs> it's another fun story from when I was growing up. Imagine going through puberty in like, I think it was like sixth grade where I still didn't have boobs. And then around seventh grade, they grew. Um, and he used to tell everyone that I talk to them in the mirror. Like plants. You know how like when you talk to plants, they grow? He fucking told everybody. He's like, oh yeah, my little sister has tits because she talked to them in the mirror. 
So I grew up with that. Um, he also thought it was appropriate to pants me. Do you, you know how like boys pants each other? They pull down each other's fucking pants. He would pants me, throw me out of the house, and then lock me out like that. I loved him to death. <laughs> Maybe it's just because he's gone. I don't know. Maybe it's in hindsight. Um, God, what are other humiliating things? Okay, so as we grew up, hold on. I'm going to take a sip of water. I'm making that weird smacky sound into the mic, which is weird. I hate it. Hold on. As we, as we did grow up, all my girlfriends still thought he was super cute. I started to love him appropriately, um, as I should have. And then I saw him more as, like, my protector. When we got into, like, our, like our teen years, you know, at some point we had, like, we rented a house. We had a swimming pool. And, you know, he was always the one that's like, hey, let's, we had a screened-in back patio with the pool. And he's like, hey, Let's remove the screen and let's all jump into the pool from the fucking roof. Yep. Um, so we used to do that all the time. Um, yeah. Did you have a? Did you know him? Because <laughs> it sounds like you did. Um, so you know, we used to like climb up to the roof, jump into things. We would light shit on fire all the time. Um, like for Christmas, you know, if you threw out a Christmas tree, we were all running around the neighborhood, like taking that tree for you, dragging it down the street and fucking lighting that on fire. Talk about a latchkey kid fucking situation because whose parents let you just light shit on fire? My parents would be inside just like watching TV. And if you looked through the window, there was a flame going up, like literally as tall as the fucking house, right? And then as a teen, we started to like, well, not me, because I was chubby and unfortunate looking. Um, there was a lot going on. I had really puffy hair, which by the way, this is all keratin. Thank you, keratin. Um, thank you so much. Because I'm like a girl with curly hair, but I don't have like the nice curly hair that just sits like beach waves. It's like puffy and terrible. So another, another name he gave me was Pendecker Puff. Um, <laughs> That was another name of mine that I had growing up. Um, he also used to, <laughs> mean, he's so mean, but it was so funny to me. Um, he also used to sing like Free Willy all the time when I was around. Um, do you guys remember Free Willy, the Michael Jackson song, Hold Me? Anyway, um, so that was another thing he would do. Um, he, so here's something so random this will get somewhere, by the way. Um, I just want to tell you all the fun stuff because the fun stuff is what makes everyone smile, right? Um, so at one point, there was a song that he would sing to me, and he said that that was the song that would play when I lost my virginity. And it was the song that was like, a wee ma wa a wee ma wa a wee <laughs> In the jungle, the mighty jungle. Yes, because, because I was Pendecker Puff, right? So the assumption was, what's on my head is definitely in my pants. And, and I'm not saying he was wrong. I'm just saying that, I'm just saying that the weird part about that story is that if you want to make me cry, play in the jungle. I'm not fucking around with you. It's not even, it's not like Evanescence or whatever. It's a wee moa, a wee moa. And then I'll burst into tears, which is super weird for people. Um, but that happens. But I knew he cared about me greatly. 
um, despite all the teasing that he loved to do, he cared about me a lot. Um, and I know that because, you know, growing up with boys, there were a lot of stupid things I wasn't allowed to do because you guys have like Latin parents, I'm assuming, the majority of you, right? And then like any time there's like a girl in a group of a bunch of boys, it's a fail, right? Even though 75% of the boys in the room were like my brothers, it didn't matter. So we would be hanging out and my, my parents would come, you know, my mom and my stepdad, again, for all intents and purposes, my parents, come into the room and say, oh no, you can't be in here, it's all boys, and I'd, you know, go. Or, you know, they would go to like laser tag or they would want to go to like an abandoned, I don't know if you guys know that out in like Chrome, there was like an abandoned building and the guy, you know what I'm talking, if you probably went out there, the boys would go and I'm sure it was super dangerous and there was like homeless people and they could have gotten killed and it was okay for them to go maybe die, um, but it was fail, <laughs> like if I went with them. So I never got to go, but he always advocated for me to go with them. He'd be like, I'll take care of her. It'll be fine, whatever. Um, and then, you know, we got a little older and then we got into high school and then like the guys would come over like they're friends. And when you get older, then he became like that protective brother of like, yeah, that's my sister. You can't touch her. And the way that he would get his friends to not get near me. And we went to the same high school, by the way. A kid from fucking high school would show up at the door to like play video games with my brothers. It was LAN games. Do you guys remember LAN games? You guys in like your 30s, like you connected all the computers and you would play like Diablo or some shit. So I remember this like really popular kid, Gabriel Mendoza, I'll never forget, who I kind of had a crush on, um, shows up at my door and I was just like, why is Gabriel Mendoza at my fucking door? <laughs> Like, he's here for me. No, he was there for, like, my brothers. Like, he was there to play fucking Diablo. And as soon as, like, I let him in, whatever, Leo was like, oh, yeah, you didn't know this is my little sister. Oh, by the way, she has a penis. This, this is how I grew up. Guys, I didn't have a come up until college, okay? It was really hard for me. So he, he used to tell literally any boy that would come into the house, he's like, oh, this is my little sister, she's a dick. This is what he would tell them. I started to get older, more into myself. Um, I had a weight loss journey because I was a chubby teenager. The reason I was chubby was also because of my brothers, because 29 cent cheeseburgers, what? Um, you remember 29 cent cheeseburgers at McDonald's and my brothers? Thank you. Thank you. And like when you're a girl, that's what I'm saying. When you're a girl and you're hanging out with a bunch of boys, you just want to be one of the boys. I always wanted to be one of the boys, so they'd come over with 29 cent cheeseburgers, and a bitch would take them down unapologetically. Then I started to realize, like, that was the reason I didn't have boyfriends and, like, never got laid. So, eventually, I dropped, like, 30 pounds. I got cute. Um, his best friend at the time, who I always had a crush on, at one point, um, I've lost weight. I'm looking cute, like he sees it. Um, and we somehow ended up canoodling with each other, like on the couch at some point. Like it was like an unspoken, like we just kind of got near each other and like spooned kind of. And I'll never forget Leo walking in on us spooning and just going, nope, this isn't happening. 
Literally was like, get off my sister, bro. He said that, walked away, and his friend was like, well, this is never going to happen. And that was really sad for me. So that was, so those were all the fun stories, right? Now we get to the stories that kind of suck. There was a point around, I want to say maybe 15, right? Because I told you stories all the way through almost to college. Around 15, our relationship got really strained. Leo and my relationship got really strained. We would fight a lot, like screaming, and I would say crazy things like, oh, if he's not out of the house, I'm going to go live with, you know, my fucking uncle or whatever. Like, fuck him. I don't want him here, this, that, the other. We started, he started to, like, distance himself from me at one point during some formative years. And it was really strained, and then I got a little older. And then when that happened, there was one night that we were driving in his car together, which, by the way, he was a big fan of Mustangs. Um, He made the front of the house like a Mustang fucking dealership because he would buy every shitty 5.0 Mustang that you could get for $500 at, like, the auction. And then he would be like, I'm going to fix it. And he's like, that's unfixable, so I'm just going to buy another. At some point, we had three fucking Mustangs in front of the house. And I remember us driving. By the way, he was also the kind of guy that had, like, Nas in the car. Like, you remember, like, to go fast? Um, You know, he had the bass in the car. Um, I can't make bass noises. If I could, I would do them and, like, sing a song to you. But that's not going to Like, boom, boom. I can't do it. Um, I'm not the guy from, like, fucking police academy. I can't do... You. Thank you for getting the reference. I can't do that. Yes, so good at fucking sound effects. I love an old millennial crowd. (laughs) Um, And then one day, you know, we had a heart-to-heart about our, like, strained relationship, and I kind of confronted him about it. I was like, look, man, like, there was a point where you and I were just, like, not in a good place, and I don't know what happened. Well, I found out what happened because he told me one day. I must have been at this point maybe 19, and he was, like, I want to say 22, almost 23, and he told me what happened. And what happened was when he first moved into the house, we were super tight and we hung out a lot. And I told you, my other brother, Carlos, that I love to death was kind of a nerd. And when he got into the house, he identified the cool person, naturally me. So we gravitated toward each other. And what happened was our parents didn't like how close we had gotten. And one day they pulled him aside And they told him, we don't like how close you are because in their adult pervy minds, they were worried that our relationship would develop into something inappropriate, right? Because super awkward, right? Um, Because he was cute and like, obviously I was cute in my own way. And they were just like concerned. So that's when he decided to kind of step away from me. And I found that out. I didn't know that before he told me. I confronted our parents about it as an adult, and I was like, that's fucked because I feel like you took away, like, a really deep bond that we had. And we found each other again because we were both pretty awesome. So then fast forward a couple years into college, like, you know, I get into a relationship Um, kept me out of the house a lot because I was in the whole thing, college, you know. He had his girlfriend from high school. They moved out. You know, people, you start to make your own lives as you get older. And one summer, um, I had gone up to New York 
well, let me go back. So it's 2008. This is where shit's going to get sad. So it's 2008, and it's February, and he marries his high school sweetheart of like eight years, and it was wonderful, and it was beautiful, and it was whatever. And then June, or May, I'm sorry, I went to New York for a few months for a college internship, and I was gone till about September. I get back, you know, acclimating to my life. I had planned to go back to New York after my internship because I started advertising. That was the Mecca. I fell in love. I'm, I'm a Cuban, Miami, born and raised. No one lives further than, like, Orlando. So, like, I was like, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to New York. I'm going to fucking live that dream because I love that city. October 24th. 2008, he passed away. I can honestly tell you, I'm going to cry and I'm sorry, but it is what it is. Thank you. It's okay. October 24th, uh, 2008, I'm still living with my parents. My brother Carlos is also still living in the house. We get a phone call in the middle of the night, and um, this is really hard. I've never told this to a group of people before. It's been 2008, so what, it's 12, 12 years? I have no idea how much time I have, but I want to get to a point. <laughs> I'm going to get to my point. Um, we get the call that he was in a really bad accident. He's at Jackson Trauma Center, and we all are on our way. My first instinct, I told you he liked Mustangs and fast cars, Finally, he had gotten, you know, a really good job. He was a Univision cameraman. He had bought a brand new fucking Mustang, 2008 fucking Mustang, his dream car, because he'd had shitty ones still parked in front of the house. He also bought himself a motorcycle at one point, which everyone was like, oh, the motorcycle is dangerous, this and that. He's always liked fast. You know, he's always liked driving fast. And my, my dad would always be like, you know, Leo, ten cuidado, whatever. And then I remember Leo always saying to him, because he was good at everything. He raced cars, um, he rode motorcycles, he was good at every fucking sport. He did a lot of dumb shit, and he never got hurt, never broke a bone. And my first reaction when my mom ran into the room and said, you know, we have to go to Jackson, I ran into the garage, and his motorcycle was there. Because he had moved out with his now wife into an apartment that they didn't have the space for the motorcycle, so he kept it parked in my parents' garage. Run into the garage, the motorcycle's there, and I think, oh, he's fine. He got into an accident, but he's not on the motorcycle, he's fine. So we get there, and I immediately know that things are not good because at this time, I also worked at a hospital. Uh, I worked at a children's hospital, and if you guys don't know about hospitals, there is something called a grief room. And a grief room is where they put a family, and they basically just make you wait there for an uncomfortable amount of time <laughs> to tell you the unfortunate news that your relative didn't make it through whatever happened. And I actually, when I worked at the hospital, shared a wall with the grief room, which is super fucked, but for whatever reason they put us there. So they put us in the grief room, and my mom also works at a hospital, and we knew exactly what was waiting for us. I was like, this isn't good, I don't know, whatever. Whatever, they, they come in, they tell us he didn't make it. It's a horrible, horrible experience of feeling that I can never replicate, never want to feel again. Um, and it was a shock. So that was the worst day of my life. Um, but all that to say, 
his passing was a turning point, not only in my life, but like in the lives of my entire family. My whole family changed, my whole dynamic changed, my whole perception of like life and what's important changed. Um, shortly after that, when you, by the way, if you invite people to a funeral and they don't come for a dumb fucking reason, just like cancel that person. <laughs> just like eliminate that person from your whole fucking life. Do you, do you guys remember my, my ex-boyfriend that died? Well, he didn't come to the funeral because he was at a paintball tournament. <laughs> yes, bitch. Um, look, I'm not saying that my ex-boyfriend deserved to die. He also died in a tragic accident. Very sad. Um, and it was way after we broke up, so not my problem. But um, that same guy was like, mm, can't make it. And I was like, cool. Well, honestly... After that experience, I only lasted with that terrible boyfriend that I had been on and off with for like three or four years. Like, we broke up after that. Um, I can't believe we even dated any time after that. Um, but he passed in October. I finally broke up with my ex-boyfriend um, in like March of the following year. And we never got back together because, you know, first, I'm trying not to go off on a tangent, but you know how first loves, when you break up, you're just like, I can't live without this person, I can't breathe without this person? because you don't know any better? Well, I was like, I can definitely live and breathe without you because I'm living and breathing without one of the most important people in my life. So, thank you. And it sucks that it takes a loss of that impact to do that, um, but that's what it did. And another thing that happened that was definitely a catalyst of my brother's passing was that I didn't go to New York. Um, the timing would have been horrific for me to have, because he passed in October. I graduated from college in December, and that was just not the time. And a couple months later, I met my now husband. Yay! It's going fine. Um, <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> 12 years going strong. But I honestly, like, think about the, the, think about the big turning points in your life. And if you start retracing your steps and, like, those big moments, that, his passing completely changed my life. I don't know where I'd be, who I'd be. I'd, you know, I don't know if I'd be in New York or whatever. I don't know if I should be like, hey, bro, fuck you for dying, bro, because I would have been in New York and it would have been fucking fantastic. Because uh, I met another local and we never left, and that's fine. We're good. Um, I'll close it out with something really quick because I'm way beyond time and it's super sad. I, I got his... Here's another quick thing that happened. At the funeral, everyone was talking shit about how they were going to get a tattoo in his memory, right? Everyone at the funeral was like, oh, we're going to get tattoos, whatever. And I was like, yeah, I'm totally going to get a tattoo. I had no tattoos. I'm totally going to do it. I never did. Uh, fast forward to three years ago, I run into his best friend, the one that canoodled with me on the couch. Um, not trying to brag, but when he saw me, he was like, yeah, she's so cute. Um, so we ran into each other, gave him a big fat hug, and, because he was just a memory of, of my brother, and he goes and he flashes 
this giant fucking L.A. on his calf, which stood for my brother's initials, and I felt like a super dick because uh, I had no tattoo to show for it. Uh, so shortly after that, I actually went and got a little pussy baby tattoo, which is this L on my wrist. Um, thank you so much. And uh, there's a lot more things that happened in my life that are as a result of that, but I just want to say that um, whenever shit is, like, small and you're stressing it and whatever, just bring perspective in your life. Think about the things that are important. Uh, yeah, just think about the things that are important, and that's all I can say. And don't let the little things bring you down, because fuck it. And... Just want to remind you, I am a comic, <laughs> and I don't talk about these things. So if you ever want to come see a show and actually see me be funny, fucking, you know, reach out. Follow me on the gram, Carmen Zita with a Z. Look at me, shameless plug, because I'm a fucking performer. Fuck you guys. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Carmen Zita, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for her. That was awesome. That's the essence of what we're doing right here, ladies and gentlemen. She's out of her comfort zone, and she got super real. And just give it up for her one more time, ladies and gentlemen. Talking about something she never really talked about. I can relate in a lot of ways, so thank you. Two more storytellers tonight. Awesome bartenders, ladies and gentlemen. Look at Chris Mullins. He's got his, his beard is coming back. He looks hot. And uh, Christian is back there. Look at these twins. He's like... If anybody wants to uh, be a part of this, hit me up at, at Uncle Scotchy on Instagram, ladies and gentlemen. But thanks again for Carmen for telling her story. Uh, we all really appreciated it. Thank you. Give it up for her. How'd you guys like the first three stories, ladies and gentlemen? We got our women's night here. They're responsible for your presence, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up for, for women and their stories, ladies and gentlemen. Please, give it up. Serious. We have a personality, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to come up here that I'm really excited to have. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Frankie Red, come on up, baby. Come on up. You, I know you gave, you gave me your, your, your bio, but I'm not going to prop you up before you get up here. I decided on that. You're going to tell your story, and you're going to make everybody happy. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Frankie. shit up here. A-Rod, do a little test for me about what we spoke about. Okay. Okay. All right. There you are. I had to see where the fuck y'all at. How y'all doing tonight? Make some noise if you're in the building. So I just want to introduce myself. By the way, shout out to Eric, wherever he's at. I looked in this direction. That's where he was sitting, but he's not there right now. But make some noise for him. He's in this motherfucker. Thank you guys so much for having me. I go by a host, media personality, poet, and dancer named Frankie Red. If you like what you sing, I'm going, or you enjoy what you hear, you can hear me through your airwaves on Two Got Radio. You can also follow me on Instagram at Frankie Red Words, words with a Z. You know, we like to do little slangish things. I got a Z, fucking S, you know what I'm saying? So make some noise if you're feeling good, feeling great. If you're blessed and highly favored, I guess a lot of you going through some shit, huh? Not a lot of noise. Not a lot of noise. 
So um, I went a lot through, you know what I'm saying, what I was going to talk about tonight. And um, I knew for sure that I definitely wanted to get into just a little bit about me, right? A lot of people, when they see me and they meet me for the first time, they're like, oh, my God, how do you do so much? You're so inspirational. You're so much. Bitch, I just do whatever the fuck I want. You understand? I just do everything my heart desires. You see this thing right here? You can't see it because it's inside of me. If you can see my heart, it's a fucking problem. But you see this right here? My heart, I do it. I do what it wants, right? So I feel like I've been very blessed and highly favored throughout life. And the reason that that is is because I owe it to my parents. Make some noise if you love your mama and your daddy. If you got daddy issues and mommy issues, don't make noise. It's cool. It's cool. You know, we're here for everyone. But I don't got those issues. I love my parents. My parents did a lot for me. They struggled and they, they went through a lot, you know, of adversities, challenges. And I feel like it truly has made me who the fuck I truly am. And the reason that I feel that way is because all of my struggles translate in real life. You know what I'm saying? Look, I'm going to put it to you real easy, right? You have peanut butter. But you ain't got no motherfucking jelly. You got to go to a show, but you ain't got an iron. You understand? That's real life. It's real life comparisons, right? Look, same thing. You stuck in traffic. You're late. It's the same as, yo, the house is full. We got a lot of primos here tonight. You're going to have to sleep on the floor on a, like, sauna. It's not even a real mattress, right? It's understanding how the struggle has made you and gotten you where you are today, right? So I'm very grateful. I always talk about my parents whenever I'm interviewed or asked about my personal life because I feel like they are the reason why I have excelled. And the reason I say that is because I see the things that I went through and how they allowed me to continue to just, you know, be on this pathway of success. That and I'm just a lucky ass bitch. Never applied for a job. Always been offered one. Jesus loved me. I don't know about you, but we ain't got no beef. We ain't got no beef. We ain't got no beef. But um, you know, I've always, I've always been very grateful for that, right? I don't say it as a bragging tool. I say it because I work hard for mines. I do all the things that I love with all of my heart. And I'm a people person. But I wouldn't be that way if it wasn't for the things that got me to where I am. So one of the things that definitely humbled me is. Shit, make some noise, or don't, <laughs> if you know what the fuck a Motel 6 is. All right, great, love. We're in good company here. We're with broke motherfuckers. I love it. So, Motel 6, right? I was a dead ass. Oh, I'm, like, from New York, so dead ass means for real, right? I'm also from Miami, but I don't really know how to identify. I'm like a mud baby. Mud baby, yeah. So, <laughs> fuck that throw baby shit. We mud babies up in here. So, um... <laughs> Um, I, I was a permanent resident of Motel 6 with my family. We moved a lot, you know, we always had, my parents were those people that were always looking for the next best deal. If the rent was cheaper, we moving. It didn't matter how close, okay? Now I'm from Broward, I'm from way up north, right? That's where I'm traveling from today. And the 954, right? And in Broward, in the city of Miramar, um, the houses and the blocks are kind of like in alphabetical order. So if you live in Alhambra, the next street is Bahama, and the next street is something with a C, and then the next one is Delito, right? So that was fucking me. I fucking lived on Alhambra, and then my mom's like, oh, there's a sign! The house is for rent! No vamos, no vamos, empaquen todas las cosas! Right? And we're going, and we're already moving into this next house. I'm like, 
But your mom's only four blocks down. Like, what is the deal? It's $200 less, mija. Nos vamos, nos vamos. I was right there with her like, shit, $200, let's go. Save me some money, right? But that allowed me to have an outtake or an outlook on life to be frugal. A bitch is cheap. I do, I'm dead ass. I am so frugal. I don't spend money unnecessarily, okay? Those of you that have Dominican friends, if you don't, you're going to learn today. Chapeadora. That's not me, though. That's not me. I just want to make sure you guys know that word, right? I work for mines, right? More of the story. But as a choppy, right, you know how to hustle. You know how to get what you want when you want it and how to get it. You just, you just, you just do. So that's what the fuck I was doing. I just knew what I wanted and I always went after it. My mother wanted a cheaper house, we went after it, right? Bigger pool, we in there, right? And in the city of Broward, or in the county, in Miramar, all the houses got pools. So when you come from Dade, where I lived in Carroll City, that's where I was born, Norsha Hospital, okay? Uh, when I lived in Carroll City, the houses there, you know, if you had a pool, it was like the little plastic ones. You know what I'm saying? Little plastic ones that you inflate. You know what I'm talking about. You've probably been in one, right? But those plastic pools are a fucking virtue because I've been traveling a lot to Dominican Republic. That's where my family's originally from, of course. And uh, just recently I went and they were like, oh, no, I'm about a pool party, a pool party. And I'm like, oh, shit, we're going to go to a pool party. Let me get cute, looking like I'm going to Cancun. What? We pull up to this pool party. <laughs> It's an inflatable pool on top of a bunch of fucking boxes. And everybody's lit. Like, everybody is lit. The party is up. Like, it's just, what Cardi B say? It's up and it's stuck, bitch. It was up and it was motherfucking stuck up in that hole, right? But I just, I was just, I couldn't, I couldn't get the same excitement as everybody else because I'm bougie, right? According to the Dominican standard of living. So I'm like, bitch, I have real pools with real steps that you can go down and shit. The fuck is this? Gotta fucking like flop yourself in there and then now you're inside. <laughs> Good, we're in there. Now to get out, that's a whole nother thing. Cause you know, in America, they give you a little cute ladder for you to get out. <laughs> in Dominican Republic, te dan una soga. Coge ahí, ven, que te Translation for all of my amazing Americans in the crowd. Here's a rope, I'm going to pull you. What the fuck did you just say, bitch? I ain't getting in there. I put my feet. Can't even put your feet. Got to put your arm. That shit too tall. If you're putting your feet in there, you a golly green. You understand? You a big, you a giant. So I just, I was vibing. I was like, I'm going to put my little fingers in there, bitch. What's up? Splish, splash, splish, splash. So those moments, right, those things always humble me, always bring me back to where I'm at, where I come from. They keep me grounded. And even though... That's a current story of something that just happened just a few weeks ago when I was in Dominican Republic. It still translates till today. So I'm in 12th grade, prom night. You know, prom night is like epic. It's the night of epic proportions, right? It's the day of like, it's like a coming of age before your fucking wedding. It's like the king say, if you're Hispanic, if you're not, it's the sweet 16. Then it's prom, then it's your marriage, and then maybe your divorce party, who knows? But that's usually the order, right? And then if you're Carmencita, you're celebrating funerals, like, you know, so we all have our thing, right? But for me, I was like, damn, prom is happening, and I got to get picked up by my prom date. I live in Motel 6. 
motherfucker's not picking me up from this hotel for me to go to prom. So this is how amazing my parents are. This is literally how amazing they are. They know prom is coming up. And they tell me, mija, get your bag. I'm like, where are we going? I got prom. I got to get ready. Oh, don't worry. We're going to go down a few blocks to the Hilton. I'm like, for what? Well, your date has to come pick you up. And we don't want him to come pick you up from here. And that right there, right? Oh, right, right. Make some noise for my parents. Fucking sacrificing their dollars for me and shit. Poppy was probably like, man, this hotel going to cost us. She's going to wash this car for a week. Okay? Uh, my chores was lined up. But the fact is, is that they made a sacrifice for me to feel comfortable, for me to have some type of fulfilling life, even while we were struggling, right? We were living at this Motel 6, but then they switched us to the Hilton for the evening just so I didn't have that complex feel, right? So I didn't feel less than, so I didn't feel unworthy or embarrassed when my date came to pick me up. So fast forward, that same situation and thinking about, you know, where I am and where I'm coming from, I traversed a lot you know, with my family. We traversed a lot. We, we moved all over Florida. We lived a family. We went back to Jersey and, you know, I stayed and they went and then we switched and it's just a lot of moving. But because we did that, I've always been able to adapt to a lot of different environments, right? Kind of like a chameleon. And because I've always been able to adapt to different environments, that has allowed me to see things from a different angle, from a different perspective, understand people, right? So immediately after high school, I definitely didn't go to college. That was the plan. I was like the nerd. I was the standard of the family and shit, bring straight A's. And I was uh, the middle girl, had an older brother, or have an older brother and a little brother. And, uh, you know, to be the middle child and to be the only girl, I was like, bitch, I'm popping, okay? You're looking at me. You're looking at me. I don't know what you're doing, what your little talent, what your little baseball is, but, bitch, I got straight A's. So look this way, right? That was kind of the, the mindset in the household. So because I was that kid, because I was fortunately that girl, y'all probably like, how many times you gonna move this fucking stand, bitch, as many times as I need to to feel comfortable, okay? <laughs> deal with it, deal with it. But um, what was I, what was I saying? Oh, so I, I take that, right? I take that experience and, and I look at, you know, my parents always wanted the best for me. So therefore, I'm always gonna want the best for myself. I'm always going to want to move forward. I'm always going to want to progress. And when I was in college, I knew that I wasn't ever going to be homeless because that was the toughest thing I ever had to do was be homeless and be a senior, okay? You know that age of adversity where you got to be popping. It's my senior year, bitch, okay? I'm top 10% of my class. Don't play with me, okay? Don't play with me. I curse a whole lot, but a bitch get good grades. A bitch get good grades, okay? Let me know. Holla at me. Get your kids straighten the fuck out, right? I teach creative writing, actually, in the daytime. So it's another little fun fact. Um, a lot of fucking hats. That's why my head is so motherfucking big. Um, but no, so I, I, wanted to, I wanted to always, you know, pay homage to that, to, to their, you know, always making sacrifices for me. And when I was in college, I told myself I would never be homeless. I would never go through that. And thankfully, I moved out when I was 18, and I'm 27, and I am still living in the same condo, the same upon my entire life. I've only moved one time, which was the fuck out, and I stayed. You know what I'm saying? And as much as that's not like a, ooh, make some noise for that moment, because I hope all of you have homes, but um, having a home consistently 
is real hard for some people. And we take that for granted. And taking that for granted and not understanding the blessing it is to have something to call yours, to have something to call your home, to call your own, that, that will change a person's perspective on life. So when I have friends that tell me and come to me that they're depressed, that they're down, that they're not feeling, you know, they're, they're uppity selves, I'm like, yo, you don't know the, like, the miles I've walked. You don't know the struggles I've been through to be this positive. The fuck is you talking about? Your nail broke. Relax. It's not that serious. My nail's fucking broken. I'm still fucking happy, bitch. Still fucking happy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Shout out to the clapping. Your nails must break all the time, brother. I'm just saying. I'm just <laughs> But no, seriously, right? You have to have that positive outlook. You have to have that positive mindset. And because I was always, you know, accustomed to being low and then coming back up, being low and then coming back up, being low and then coming back up, it still translates today, right? So... I have, um, you know, my brother's in Jersey, my little brother's here, I'm here alone, I'm, I'm doing me, and I have this amazing opportunity, right, um, that opens up immediately after me graduating from college. Now, here's the thing. When I started this, I told you I'm a media personality, host, poet, dancer, right, just all these fucking hats that I wear of all this entertainment shit that I do that I love, but I actually graduated with my degree in journalism, <laughs> and I was a political fucking journalist. That's where I began, right? And I worked in the legislature for four years. I worked for a house representative in Tallahassee, and I was the youngest uh, Tallahassee uh, political writer in the history of Florida, so yes. My name on a plaque somewhere is somewhere, okay? But um, the reason I say that is because I'm not supposed to be there. I'm not supposed to be here right now. If I would have allowed my circumstances and my life, you know, not decisions, because obviously they weren't mine. I was, I was a minor, so I wasn't in control. But if I would have allowed those things to define me, if I would have allowed those things to carry out, I would not have the tenacity to continue. So I really want to encourage you that if you feel in that way, there is so much that we don't know about each other, right? There's so much that we don't know where we're going after this. We're looking back at all of our adversities. I actually just uploaded literally a video to my YouTube, <laughs> shameless plug, um, about not looking back. And when this opportunity opened up, I was just like, you know, that, that's kind of like my moral story of life, right? Not looking back and not dwelling on it. I'm always gonna look. We always gonna acknowledge it. But what we are not gonna do is dwell in it. We are not gonna stay in it. You see this chair? This motherfucker is the past. We ain't doing all of this. We ain't doing all of this. We ain't doing all of this. With the past. We're not. Fuck the past. Right? We got to continue forward. We got to look forward. And that is how I carry out every, every step of my life. So I get this job. But here, back at the bottom, thinking I don't know what's my next step, right? I'm in college. It's my last day. I'm being told. I, I was working at Broward College. And because I was a full-time student, I had full-time employment. The caveat is you got to be a full-time student to have full-time employment. So now I graduated. So what do I do? Man, I don't know. But today's your last fucking day. My boss just came and just told me just like that. Today's your last day. We extended your contract two weeks. We tried for another two weeks, but we can't. Today's your last day. Oh, my God. What am I going to do? I'm going to be homeless tomorrow. You know, like that's the first thing that I thought of. I ain't got no savings. Like I'm a broke college student. Cue the violins, bitch. Cue the violins. Like, oh, what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. 
But God, I'm telling you, he just, he loved me. He just know. My phone just rang out of nowhere. Yes, bitch, I have that annoying ringtone, the one that you never change. All of you probably have the regular ringtone. I change it to the bird. My shit went I was like, oh, random number, hello. Yes, hi, it's this Frankie. Oh shit, it's a serious voice. I don't know if I should say yes or no. I don't know if it's a bill collector or it's a motherfucking opportunity. So I'm just gonna say, <clears throat> who's asking? Very eloquent voice, right? So uh, this is Representative Chevron Jones. Bah! All I heard was representative. <laughs> Whatever you said after that, I'm like, who are you representing though? Okay, what we represented, who we talking about, right? And I get this, I get this phone call because he was told, and, and I had actually, I had met him, this is my former boss, and um, I had met him at an event where they like only chose the elite students to go. <laughs> and I was fucking all up in that bitch. I'm like, what's up, what's happening? No, I'm just playing, I wasn't like that. But definitely, you know, a whole nother me that y'all not seeing right now. Hi, how are you, nice to meet you, I'm Frankie. Pleasure. Thank you so much for being it's an amazing opportunity. I'm so excited. I cannot wait. Cannot wait. But deep down, I'm like, bitch, we gonna turn this fuck out. We gonna turn this motherfucker out, right? That's what I'm thinking. But I already know. You gotta bring down that energy, Red. Gotta bring down that energy. They ain't ready for you. So it's like this too. I'm a Gemini. So there's two sides of me, and there's two dead ass sides of me. It's like two fucking extremes, right? So I'm like, all right, I got to put this, you know, mane in a little bun. All of my curly mommies know what the fuck I'm talking about. Take that brush and you just push these curls back. He offered me a job to start the next day. But here's the crazy shit, right? Thank you for that. But I literally didn't know what I was going to do. I was being told today is your last day. I was afraid of what tomorrow was going to hold. The motherfucking first was in a few fucking days. So I'm looking at my boss like, <laughs> you want me to rob you? Because I know how to do that too. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm from the streets. We get down, okay? What am what I going to do about this rent though, no, right? And I was offered a job right away. Same day. Same day I was told. But if I would have gotten down and dumpy, and even though I had all these thoughts, I didn't allow it to define me. I didn't allow it to perpetuate my future. So I took the job. Worked there for four years, and I was just like, all right, we're done here. <laughs> I can't be myself. I started to do poetry. I've always been a poet. I've always written poetry and um, never performed it, though. You know, I was doing, like, performances in college here and there, but I was just, like, not really taking it seriously. So I decided, well, my day in and day out is come in, read bills, draft the bills, send the bills, re-edit the bills, finalize the bills, read the bills, send the bills, free draft the bills, send the, like, what the fuck? I felt like a computer, you know? So I was like crashing. Ooh, see what I did there? But uh, I was, I was dying. So I said, no, like I studied journalism. Yes, I had a little focus on politics. But a bitch always wanted to be seen and heard, okay? I don't wanna be seen and heard about y'all problems in the white buildings, okay? I'm good off that. But I thought that was my path in the beginning. I even took, like, I even worked for ESPN. And I was like a fucking sports intern thinking I wanted to do sports. I didn't want to do that shit. I just wanted to be around them athletes. Okay, I'm just saying, just saying. But then I came to my senses, my hoism left. And I was like, you know, we have to focus. We have to, how you caught that? It got, I'm quick. Got to be listening. 
There's a test after this. I told you I'm a teacher. My what left? What's the vocab word? Hoism. Good job. Good job, ladies and gentlemen. There's no fucking prize, but good job. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I knew, I knew that I had to do what I loved. I knew that even though this was an amazing opportunity, even though I'm the first college graduate of my family, the first generation, first generation American, okay? Todo mi primo quieren visa, okay? They all want a visa. They all want to come over here. And it's, it's a big honor for me. You know, like, we take it for granted. Like, bitch, you was just born here, okay? But no, some of us have family overseas that look at this shit as like a golden ticket to the world. And I feel that way every day I live. I feel that way every day I live. There's shit that's not cool. There's shit that don't rock that I don't like. But I put that in my poems. I put that in my writing. I speak on those things on my platforms. I advocate for those who don't have a voice. That is my everyday job as an entertainer because I feel like that's the only way that I can cope with the fuckery. It's too much fuckery around, right? You remember that chair? We ain't fucking the chair, okay? You can clap for that. Too much fuckery. Fuckery, right? Too much. So we have to be positive. We have to be able to push forward and excel and look at things from a holistic point of view because otherwise we're just going to be down in the dumps and not really doing the things that our heart craves. I knew that if I didn't leave that job, that career opportunity, like my dad says, if I didn't leave that, I was going to stay stuck in an unhappy place. So I was making good money. It was okay. Not really. They weren't really paying. But for a 20-year-old bitch, I was balling. Okay, $35,000 a year. Woo, we rich. Until real life happens, you're like, bitch, what? <laughs> you mean if for me to be a vegan, it costs $1,000 a week? Ooh, uh, let's go back to carne, right? <laughs> On second thought, bitch. But I, I knew that I had to do what I loved. And as hard as it was for me, knowing that if I leave steady income, in my mind, I'm thinking of that Motel 6. And all I'm thinking about is sleeping in the car with my parents when I had to, being house to house when I had That's Every time I switch jobs or I leave a motherfucker, that's what I think about. And I say leave a motherfucker because I don't really fuck with bosses like that. If you rude to me, bye, bitch. I'm out of there. I don't take disrespect. But I'm also not disrespectful. So what you doing, right? That's how I see it. And I took that as, a, as an opportunity for me to say it was nothing with the representative it was everything with the environment and the culture of politics. I was doing poems, the rep had issues with it. I was performing at venues, Tallahassee wasn't liking that. I was getting booked for shows, I needed permission from the fucking speaker of the house. Like, bitch, I'm Frankie Red. Like, I don't need your permission for shit, okay? What you need to do is pay for this fucking reconstruction on 441 that's been in fucking construction since 1979, bitch. That's what you need to do. Okay, we tired of 441 looking fucked up. You don't need to be approved. And, and that, that, that right there is what the fuck got me. I'm like, yo, I really got to sign a paper, a document for me to do this? For me to come to this story hour, I need to ask for permission. No, 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 no. These people have real life issues happening. And you're more focused on what the staff got going on than these motherfuckers that voted for you got going on. Motherfuckers is a nice word for you guys, don't worry. But when you are a motherfucker in this example, you are a motherfucker that voted, right? So right there, my morals was all fucked, and I needed to just leave. And I knew that when I left, 
I was going to do something that my heart desired, something that my heart spoke to. Immediately after I left, it was like, again, I'm telling you, more of the story. God got me. Blessed and highly favored, bitch. Don't know about you. But immediately I left that day. Next day, I kid you not, I had a random inbox. Hey, I'm doing an open mic. I'm like, oh, shit, what's that? <laughs> and who's Mike? <laughs> I'm thinking it's like a motherfucker named Michael that do some shit. No, it's an open mic. Like, I was ignorant to even what that was. And just, it was a ripple effect after that. One thing always led to another. Me being a dancer is what led me to doing poetry. I read my first poem as read words at the dance studio that I've been a dancer at for over 10 years. And it was a, like a similar to, you know, like an open mic night, kind of, whatever. We had an open floor nights because, you know, it's a dance studio. Ain't no mic, bitch. But we had open floor. And during open floor, you have an opportunity to speak your piece, say whatever you want. And I just felt moved. I kept seeing other poets. And I was like, yo, I have something to say. I'm going to say it. And it was so compelling. And what was so beautiful about that is I started it doing poetry in somewhere where I already was. I was already dancing. Through me being a poet, through me hosting my own shows, there was a producer in the crowd that was like, yo, you're so amazing. I love your tenacity. I would love to work with you. And he was a producer for a radio show. And that's how I got my first. I'm telling you, it's just God got me. He got me. He got me. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But the point I'm saying is, whether you believe in God or not, I don't want to make nobody uncomfortable, but I do. Um, you have to have that faith. You have to know in your gut that if you do what you love and you do it with pure, true, honest, good intentions, you can always propel forward. I have been through so much fucked up shit. My stories be endless, right? And I actually have a blog about it. It's called A Frankie Tale. <laughs> it really is because it's a fucking tale told by me, bitch. What's up? But um, you can find that on my website, revolution.red. And, um, you know, I just, I always love to tell people just the shit I go through because it's real shit. But it's just funny. I always look at life from this, like, comedic lens, right? And you have to because it's going to, shit's going to keep happening. You know, your life ain't always going to be peachy. But you can make it that way. You can choose to be mad about this motherfucking nail that I paid for that this bitch told me they was going to fall off. Or you could just let it go. Right? You could choose to be stuck in the past and, damn, I really don't want to end up at, back at that Motel 6. Or you can do everything in your God-given power to rise forward. I'll end with this. I choose words. I don't choose violence. But I tell myself I can't be silent. I use my voice to speak for the voiceless. I can't sleep at night, I still hear their voices. I wish I was lying, but I'm not, I'm crying now. Not shying from the truth, my brothers are dying now. I choose words, I don't choose violence. But I tell myself I can't be silent. Using my words to cover the world, to let them know that we are in this together, all one under the sun. For you and I are the same, we both bleed blood. So the only thing that I have left to say is let today's message be all, all, all about love. Love. <laughs>
and know that as long as you can always come together, we will forever rise to the top of the mountain and scream, we are a team, because you know what I mean, all of us in here together, we know what it seems to be human. And somehow, that's always enough. Thank y'all so much. I go by poets. Radio personality, dancer named Red Words. You guys can find me on Frankie Red Words. You can hear me on your airwaves. Take my dance classes. Fuck with a bitch, okay? I got my own lipstick line. Just, you know, rock with me. I wanna rock with you. I appreciate you guys. Make some noise for your host. Make some noise for Eric. Thank you guys again so much. Frankie Red, ladies and gentlemen. Frankie Red. The best part was the middle finger with no nail on it. Because that was the one you needed to throw. That was the real finger right there. We're just taking a super short break, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, once again, give it up for Frankie Red, ladies and gentlemen. That was an awesome story. All the stories tonight have been super inspirational. And it was really cool to have a theme and a night uh, for women. What are you doing wearing a mask? So you get you get sitting together all fucking night. You... I like the hats though. I do like the hats. Ladies and gentlemen, Alexa Lash is a musician that plays here all the time. She had a, a podcast that she kind of put together and a, and a whole thing. She she did a lot for local music during the pandemic. She has a lot to say. Uh, she's been super polite and super chilled. And she's going to be telling a story about her mother, who she loves, in a little bit. So if you guys have it in your heart, hang out for Alexa Lash. Ladies and gentlemen, all, all the wise, give it up for all the other storytellers tonight, ladies and gentlemen. It's been really cool. It's been a really cool vibe. Shit's run, it's run long. Yes, it's run long. But uh, we got one more left. So, and give it up, ladies and gentlemen, Julio, for recording this for the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the... Unsung. He's he's my Batman. He's my audio Batman. Ladies and gentlemen, the Lasher, um, <laughs> Alexa Lash. Seriously, she's done a lot during this time during the pandemic. She told a, a one story that she was very nervous about. She did a really good job with, and um, she's back for more. Uh, as the Lasher is known for. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, this has been a really cool night to host, and everybody's been really cool. Ladies and gentlemen, um, I'm really excited to hear the next story. Alexa Last, ladies and gentlemen, come on up. With her notes. <laughs> I can't see it anyway. No, I, I've, I've learned the only way to memorize your lyrics is to just stop using them. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Alexa Lash. I'm a local singer-songwriter from Miami, Florida. It's, this is on a podcast, so I feel like I gotta say these things. Um, my mom couldn't make it here tonight, even though the story's about her. I let her know this was happening, um, so I promised her I wouldn't say anything incredibly embarrassing. Um, I wanna, at some point, pitch that we have a parent and child night, because <laughs> I definitely would love to get her side on one of my stories in the future. Um, right, it's a good idea. I'm the idea lady. That's why he calls me the Lasher. Better than calling me the Flasher. I haven't taken my clothes off on stage. So, yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> yes. 
Uh, <clears throat> all right, start the story, Alexa. This is happening. Uh, I just want to say a quick shout out to all the ladies who came before me uh, or who didn't come before me, Shira. <laughs> I'm not a comedian. It was a bad joke. Uh, I just, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so I want to thank Shira, Frankie, Carmen, um, who went second? Oh, Jesus, Brittany, uh, for going on first. You guys are amazing. You made me incredibly nervous because I've been sitting here listening to all of your great stories. And I'm like, wow, I'm just going to tell this like little slice of life with my mother. Um, so my mom, my mom, uh, she's been a huge role, like role in my life, huge supporter of every crazy idea I've ever had. Um, I might not seem like the type of person who has a lot of crazy ideas, but as a kid, I was kind of weird. I did a lot of weird stuff. Um, and any idea that I had, anything I wanted to try, anything new for me that I wasn't really sure what I was going to do, my mom always just said, yeah, Alexa, let's try it. Like, let's do this thing. I didn't live with my mom. I lived with my grandparents until I was about nine. Um, then I moved in with my dad and my stepmom after that. But my mom's always just been this figure. She's fun. She's, she's blonde. Um, and, you know, even now, I, ha I, like, post her on Instagram, and I'm like... She's pretty hot, and I'm like, this is what you have fo to look forward to, men. So to my boyfriend, congratulations. Um, exactly. You have so much to look forward to. Um, my mom just has always supported me, so I want to tell you a couple stories, just two, uh, of times where my mom has supported something crazy that I wanted to do um, in my youth, and, and you know how that's kind of translated into now. So... The first story is, it was about my eighth birthday. My mom will probably correct me after this story. She'll hear it on the podcast. She's like, Alexa, that didn't happen when you were eight. Uh, but she asked me, Alexa, what do you want to do for your birthday? Like, what do you want for your birthday? And I looked at her straight in the face. Mind you, I lived with my grandparents at this time. I was so good. I was like the epitome of good child. You couldn't get me to do anything bad. If somebody punished me and said, you can't watch TV for a week, my dad punished me in the house. At my grandparents, I didn't watch TV. I didn't do anything. I was just like this well-behaved little girl. And what I looked at my mom, I was like, mom, I want to curse all day. <laughs> now, Frankie talked about motherfuckers. I use the word motherfuckers on this stage at Bar Nancy on a pretty regular basis. I've had an entire room yell out motherfuckers during one of my drunken moments where I was like, I keep saying it too much, and everybody was like, no, and then everybody just said it. I told my mom I want to curse all day, all day. And mind you, this was a day that my, my older brother, Jeffrey, had to babysit me for whatever reason on my birthday. My mom had to do something related to work or she was out of the house. Um, so my mom gets this phone call from my brother, and my brother's like, mom, I can't get her to fucking stop. <laughs> What I was doing all day was this. Now, I do music now, but I gotta say my lyrical prowess started when I was younger because I would take songs like, you know, I used to watch those Disney music videos. So it was like, da-da-da, hot, 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 hot. I turned that song into this. Fuck, 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 oh yeah. You know, I'm an eight-year-old running around singing this song. Now, I'm also half Jewish, so I picked Hava Nagila. Fuck, 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 fuck. All, all day. Any song you could think of, 
I replaced it with that. And I promise you even now, I get you're not eight-year-olds, but if you replace your favorite song with your favorite curse word and you sing it, it makes you happy. <laughs> so, so I did this all day. My brother still remembers this story. My mom loves to tell this side of the story. She tells it much better than I do. Um, but that's just like one example of my mom being like, yeah, that's cool, Alexa. She regretted it later, you know, because now I don't stop. Uh, I was really unfiltered that day. I didn't bring it home to my grandparents. I was much more sensible than that. But anytime I saw my mother, I cursed like a fucking sailor. Um, so the other, thank you. Thanks, mom. Thanks, mom. Uh, when you hear this podcast, I hope it makes you smile, you know. And Jeffrey, I love you too. Um, all right, so the second story, which is kind of like a hybrid thing. Uh, I, I'm not funny, really. I think I'm funny. I tell a lot of jokes. I'm also self-deprecating, this is a fact. I come on this stage a lot and play music, but in between my sets, I tell a lot of really stupid jokes. I laugh with my bands. Mar I try to make Marcel laugh. My bassist, Carlos, laugh. My drummer, Johnny, makes fun of me. Um, but I really, I've always had this affinity to do voices. I don't speak about it a lot. When I drink, I do. I mention it a lot, and I love to do accents. It's probably very offensive to the person whose accent I'm replicating. Um, but when I was 11 or 13 years old, I'm 33 now, and I still love to do this stupid shit, um, I told my mom, we were going into Universal Studios, I said, Mom, I would very much like to do an Irish accent all day in the theme park. My mom's like, all right, I'm gonna do British. <laughs> My mom gave up halfway through the day. I do this accent throughout the entire day, but this is not the main story, and I'm not gonna do my Irish accent because it's fucking terrible. <laughs> I'm, gonna do, <laughs> I'm gonna do a different one, wait it out. Doing it, wait it out. Because it's not really Irish, it's like an Irish-Scottish hybrid terrible accent. I did it once when I was Puck in Midsummer Night's Dream in like middle school, and then it kind of just kept going from there. I am that merry wanderer of the night. I just over on to make him smile. Like, I like, I still remember my monologue from, from fucking middle school. Anyway, <laughs> I looked like Peter Pan. Shout out to the Peter Pan story from earlier. So we do this thing at Universal. This all happens. Then my mom picks me up. My, remember, my, so my mom, I didn't remember. I don't even remember if I told you. My mom moved to Orlando when I was like nine or 10 years old. So uh, she was in Orlando for a while. And so I used to go to the theme parks a lot with her. We went to everywhere. We went to Disney, we went to, to Universal. We were like religious about it. I still love going now. Uh, just, I haven't been obviously in a little over a year for weird reasons, who knows. Um, <laughs> pandemic, uh, Mickey got COVID. Um, <laughs> right. So, so my mom picks me up. I'm 13, 11, 12, 13, one of those ages probably going through puberty. Doesn't really make a difference in the story at all. Um, she picks me up in the car. Oh, she, she's not picking me up. I'm staying with her. We're on the way to the theme park. We're on the way to SeaWorld. Sorry, Shamu and stuff. I know, I know. Some people aren't supporting this. <laughs> we're, going on, we're going to SeaWorld. And on our way to SeaWorld, we, we're meeting her friend. Let's call her Kim. I don't actually remember her name. Doesn't really matter. I'm just picking Kim because it's a generic uh, white old lady name, and my mom had a lot of friends named Kim. All right, it's true. 
all right? My mom had a lot of friends named Kim growing up. I'm not going to say Karen because I don't remember her being a bitch. And, and that's Karen with a K because I have an aunt named Karen and I love her. I love you, Aunt Karen. I'm sorry for saying that. I didn't mean it. So my mom tells me on the way to SeaWorld, she's like, Alexa, she looks me dead straight in the face. She's like, Alexa, I told Kim you're Scottish. <laughs> yeah, my mom, my mom. She's like, she's like, Alexa, I told Kim you're Scottish. I'm like, I turn to her, I'm like, I'm like, are you serious? She's like, yeah. I'm like, all right, let's fucking do this. <laughs> I'm like, what's the backstory, mom? She's like, well, I told her your dad is Scottish. He lives still in Scotland and that you haven't seen him in a long time, but you know that you still have an accent for whatever reason. <laughs> I'm like, okay, mom, that's cool. That's, that's totally fine with me. So we get to SeaWorld. I introduce myself to Kim. I'm like, hello there. I'm Alexa. It's very nice to meet you. I hope you're having a lovely day. You know, like, fucking, like, I'm having this, this entire conversation like this, and I just, I don't even know what the fuck to say to her. I'm like, yeah, my dad's, like, still in Scotland. It's so weird, right? Like, I have this incredible accent, and my mom just is fucking American. Um, so I'm doing this all day. I get a phone call. I'm like, I'm like, hey, I gotta take this. I'll be right back in a second. Hey, can, uh, can I call you back later? Like, i kind of in the middle of something. Okay, so I'm coming back, and every time I got a phone call, I would have to, like, you know, switch to this, you know, me, Florida, unaccented, you know, American, whatever, boring, whatever, um, and then come back to Kim and, and do my Scottish accent. I never let it up. I was so on, and my mom was, like, staring at me. She's like, man, my fucking daughter, I'm so fucking proud right now. <laughs> so, we, so we end the day, right? We end the day, and I'm like, goodbye, Kim. It was lovely to meet you. I had such a fun time seeing all the whales and the sea creatures and all the best things that are about SeaWorld. And I get in the car with my mom, and I'm like, Mom, that was fucking fun. She's like, yeah. I'm like, Mom, are you going to tell her I'm not Scottish? No. So cut to about, like, three years ago. I randomly think of Kim. So I'm like, Mom. Hey, Mom. Did that lady ever, Kim, did you like ever tell her that I'm not Scottish? There's a woman named Kim who exists in this world that I haven't seen in many years, who still thinks that Alexa Lash is Scottish and her dad lives in Scotland. My dad is American and is from New York. Um, so really the concluding point of the story, the whole end point, um, is that you know, I've always loved being silly. I'm very shy, I get very nervous. When I'm on stage, I'm a completely different human. Like, off stage, I'm basically that girl on the phone. On stage, I'm that Scottish-accented woman. When I'm, when I'm singing music, when I'm, when I'm playing my music for people, I get to be somebody else. And it's easy to be on stage and talk to all of you, and it's, it's much easier. But my mom from the get, like when I told her I wanted to do music, she was like, fuck yeah, where's your first gig? And for like six months straight, she would drive from Fort Lauderdale to, to Miami, stay till fucking midnight. She's an older lady, not too old, mom. Sorry for even saying that. I'm like looking at the lights like she's gonna like yell at me. <laughs> like I said, she's hot. You're hot, mom. Podcast world, my mom's hot, guys. She's single, she's ready to mingle. I, I shouldn't have said that. Um, anyway, so the point is, 
My mom has supported me in everything I did. She showed up at every show for six months, Fort Lauderdale to Miami, stayed late night, brought all her friends from Fort Lauderdale, and just even for 20-minute sets, she would come support me. She supported me with my crazy accents and still does it to this day. She supported me in everything that I've done. And, you know, if I get to be looking like her in 20 years, 30 years, and, and get to be as bubbly and supportive as she was to my children in my future, then I think I've done something right. Thank you so much, Mom. Thank you. <laughs> That's how you do it right there, ladies and gentlemen. The Lasher. Lashing out, ladies and gentlemen. Seriously, give it up for Alexa Lash. She was really nervous about telling this story. She did not seem nervous about telling this story. And she told a great story, ladies and gentlemen. And she really capped off a great night about women telling their stories. So give it up for all the, the women that told the stories for what's her story. And especially Alexa. She did a really good job, ladies and gentlemen. So thank you so much. Thanks, Bar Nancy. The Chris's behind the bar. Oh, the Chris's. They should wear it. <laughs> they should wear a skirt. It's the Chris's. The Chris's. The little Chris's. And uh, check out the website, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the podcast, Uncle Scotchy. Thank you. You had to hit something, didn't you? With your fucking man bun now you wear. Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks a lot for hanging out. We got some uh, great stuff coming up next week. Uh, I'll see you guys next week. Some of the Scotty storytelling extravaganza. I will slur for you next week as well. <laughs>